Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome again to our series as we explore the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. We were in our handout that can be found at whcbradio.org, and we're looking at uh, number one, and we had just gotten into that when we finished our last program. So let's um, find our handout, and hopefully you have that. If not, I will try my best to talk you through it. And we're looking at the difference between the rapture and the, the uh, second coming. And recall that we look at, for instance, this number one that we're working in. We look at number one for the rapture, and then we compare it with number one for the second coming so that we can see uh, the many contrasts, the many differences that exist between that rapture uh, of the saints and the coming back of the saints with Jesus at his second coming. So we had... Um, looked at church, the beginning of the church, and also referred to as the bride by looking at Acts chapter 2, which was a discussion of Pentecost, and the key phrase in Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4, had to do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That was the um, the key event for the beginning, uh, the marker for the beginning of the church was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus, he was telling them that the Holy Spirit was active in the church of God by um, assigning and leading them as shepherds of the church. And he was making the point that the church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. So it put a, a marker of time, if you will, on the beginning of the church. Uh, being with the death, burial, resurrection, and ultimate glorification of Christ to heaven. So I wanted to uh, move on to John chapter 7, and that's where we left off last time. Let's go to John, the book of John in the Gospels, John chapter 7. And in this um, passage in verses uh, 38 and 39, we're seeing the transition between um, what would be Old Testament into the New Testament, the New Testament being uh, the demarcation being the creation or the, the beginning initiation of the church, which is the key point in, in view right here. In John chapter 7, verse 38, he says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So that's verse 38, and let's uh, stop right here and comment for a moment, because what John is doing through the leading of this Holy Spirit is he's uh, recalling a passage from Isaiah that said that the um, innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This was a great prophecy in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote a good 600 to 650 years before Christ was even born. So this is uh, one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament about the infilling of the Holy Spirit into believers, uh, yet future from the time of Isaiah. And then verse 39, it says, but this he spoke of the Spirit. 
whom those who believed in him, so Jesus saying those who would believe in him were to receive this Holy Spirit. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the point that's being made here is that the Holy Spirit would come on people in the Old Testament, just as a way of background, would come on people in the Old Testament But as he did with the first king of Israel, King Saul, he came on him, and then Saul became disobedient, and the Holy Spirit left him. You have David praying in the Psalms, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In the New Testament, the gospel of grace basically is telling us that when a believer professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, who formerly would come on someone but could leave, now would come into and fill that individual and would never, never leave them. As a matter of fact, that never, ever leave them is a very key point. And we want to find that uh, in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 in your guide. John chapter 14, this is Jesus talking to the apostles, the 11 now, because this is the uh, night that he's going to be de- de- betrayed, and this is what's called the upper room discourse. So he is um, giving some insight into the future here uh, throughout these these chapters, uh, 14, thir- actually 13 through 17, but we're looking at John 14, verses 16 and 17. Now, pay pay particular attention here. Verse 16, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, this helper, may be with you forever. Key word, forever. That is, talking about the helper, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, talking to his apostles, believers, because he abides with you and will be in you. Now he's saying abides with you because Jesus was still there on the earth. He had not been crucified, had not been gloriously resurrected, had not ascended to the Father, which we'll see uh, further explained here in just a moment. So he's saying he abides with you, but future tense at the end of verse 17 will be in you. And there's the key point that uh, actually took place uh, shortly after this, after his death, burial, and resurrection. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, the first verse there in our uh, worksheet at the top. So we have that, and then let's go to verse uh, 7 of chapter 16. So one more page over to the right, John chapter 16, and let's look at verse 7. Jesus is speaking. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus is telling the apostles, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that's the the wonderful thing about the, uh, the, the Pentecost event and the infilling of the Holy Spirit into the church. When Jesus was on the earth, everything was focused on Jesus in his human form. 
And he basically admitted, I can just do so much. You will do so much more when I leave. And the reason for that is that when Jesus leaves, then and only then will he give his Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to each and every member of the church, those people who believe Jesus Christ is the um, the Son of God. So hopefully you can see that, that the church that we're talking about here is made up of people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and at that point in their salvation, at that point of belief, the Holy Spirit comes into them, and as we saw in John 14, will never leave them. All right, let's look at the other point here. It says in uh, the comment there in, in number one under rapture, Jesus comes from heaven for his church, which we've just talked about, and it's also his bride, and that's a beautiful picture that we want to spend some time talking about here. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. So we've been in the book of John, so go to the right and find Acts and Romans, and then go to the Corinthian books, and go to 2 Corinthians, and go to chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and look at verse 2. And this is Paul. He's talking to the Corinthian church. But when he's talking to the church, believers, whether it's Thessalonica, uh, Corinth, wherever, Philippi, when he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers. So he's talking to us. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you. Do you see the, the, the wedding imagery here? I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So he's talking to the church as being a pure virgin, a bride, if you will, to be betrothed to the bridegroom, ultimately husband, and that is Jesus Christ. So that's um, that's a beautiful picture we see, and Paul actually expounds on that even more in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. So we're in 2 Corinthians. If you just go to the right in your New Testament just a little bit, you'll find Galatians, and right after Galatians, Ephesians. I mean, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, and he's showing a comparison between Christ and the church and a husband and a wife. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 27. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself, again, that wedding analogy, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." What a, a beautiful picture we have of Christ and the church. 
And and he's basically saying, you know, I, I see the same thing with a relationship between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband. It should be a model, modeled on Christ and the church. So hopefully you see uh, from this that uh, when Jesus comes from heaven for his church in the rapture, we understand what the church is, who basically makes up the church, and it's also called the bride, a beautiful picture. And there'll be another uh, series of programs where I will talk about the ancient uh, Galilean Jewish wedding, which the uh, uh, the whole picture of the rapture is a picture of a Jewish wedding. And it's a beautiful thing to uh, discover as we go through that. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you at some time, sometime in the future. So to wrap up uh, number one under the rapture, I wanted to look at a couple of things here uh, that have to do with uh, timing. And let's look at first, uh, rather, Second Thessalonians, just to wrap up this little point here about coming for the church. When might he do that? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. This is actually his second letter. It was done less than a a year after his first letter because they're very concerned that they they think that they may have missed uh, the rapture. And uh, just as bad, they think that those uh, that they knew were Christians but had died uh, were not going to be taken up in the rapture. So... Uh, Paul is assuaging them, if you will, uh, comforting them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But let's look at um, verses 5 through 8. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? So it's not something new to them, this, uh, this idea of the rapture. And you know what restrains him now. And above, he was talking about him being the Antichrist. Uh, So again, six, and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. So he's talking about revealing of the Antichrist on the earth uh, at the point, uh, the beginning of the tribulation. In verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, so talking about an individual, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So to look at these verses uh, in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 5 through 8, he's basically saying that um, this lawless one is going to come on the scene and that he will do great, great terror and great damage until the Lord destroys him with the breath of his mouth at his coming. That's his second coming. But there's something that has to happen to allow this lawless one to be revealed on the earth. And that thing is the restrainer must be removed. And the restrainer is a he. And it's uh, well, well documented although there are some that would uh, would always differ. I think there always are, but it's documented that the he here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is what restrains evil on the earth. And where does the Holy Spirit reside? Well, he resides within the church. We saw that back in John 14 when the helper was promised to us. 
We saw that in John 16 where Jesus says, the helper can't come unless I go, and when he comes, he will lead you into all knowledge, and um, he will be with you forever. So the connection we need to make here, I'd like you to make here, um, that the Holy Spirit would lead you into seeing, is that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church is the restrainer. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of it before, but because if you are a professing Christian, if indeed Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then the moment you made that profession, the Holy Spirit of God came into your life. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that that same Holy Spirit that dwells within you is the restrainer of evil. So the, the obvious connection there is that when the restrainer is taken out of the way to allow the lawless one to be revealed and to begin the tribulation period, that when the, law, when the restrainer rather is taken out of the way, another way to say that is the church is taken out of the way. So this is a picture of the rapture of the church to remove the church before the wrath of God begins that will now allow that wrath to be uh, manifested primarily through a man called the Antichrist or the, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. So hopefully you can see that as an idea of the timing of when Jesus comes from heaven, looking at number one, for his church, for his bride, would be before that happens before the tribulation happens. And uh, the last verse there, John fourteen sixteen to 17, is just to emphasize again, I won't read it now, but uh, we have before, that uh, to emphasize that the Holy Spirit, once he comes into your life at salvation, never leaves you. So when the Holy Spirit leaves the earth, the church goes with him because he indwells us and he will never leave us. So hopefully that uh, that was a blessing for you to to see that and to see the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the life of the church, and to uh, be manifested as the bride, the bride of Christ. So that's who Jesus is coming for when he comes to rapture the church. Now let's look across to the right here, and let's look at um, what Jesus uh, aspects of Jesus when he returns with his saints, when he returns with the church. So it's the same church, the same bride. So let's look at Revelation 19. Let's look at Revelation 19 as we look at the second coming aspect, when Jesus comes with his bride, when he comes with actually by then it would be his wife. In fact, we'll see that in just a moment. Revelation chapter 19 Looking at verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So let's go back up to, to uh, verse 7 here of Revelation 19. It says, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. There are um, several uh, versions of the Bible. I believe the King James uh, says it. 
that uses the word wife, because at this point in time, the uh, the bride of, of Christ uh, has now been wedded to her husband and uh, is now the glorious wife of Christ when we come back with him. As a matter of fact, keep your hand there in Revelation 19 and flip over to the right to Revelation 21, Revelation 21, verse 9, and this is in your in your uh, guide, Revelation 21, 9, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, comma, the wife of the Lamb. So there you have it, bride, the wife of the Lamb. And just to, to make clear of the connection here, again, looking at the context, which we talk about all the time, to confirm the point that not only is this the wife of Christ, but that we are coming back with him. So we have verses 7 and 8 we just read in verse 19. So if you look on your guide there, it says verse 14. So looking at verse 14, it says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, just as we read, stopping for a moment, just as we read up there in verse 8, same description, So back in verse 14, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And of course, in context, right before that, it talks about Jesus coming at his second coming on his white horse, and we come with him, and we also will be riding on white horses in our fine linen, white and clean, as his wife coming back to the earth. Now, we had made the point as you recall, uh, over to the left in our guide there, that the church is made up of what are called church-age believers, people who um, were saved by the blood of Christ and uh, believed in his death, burial, and resurrection. But there are those um, that believe that people of all time are people who make up the church. So I wanted to show you a scripture here that might help you in talking to someone who says that the church is everybody that ever lived that was counted as righteous makes up the church. So if you would go to Isaiah 54, Isaiah, so back pretty much in the middle of your Bible, roughly, Isaiah 54, uh, Isaiah 54, and looking at uh, verses 5 through 7, Isaiah 54, 5 through 7. It reads, for your husband is your maker. So you see the word husband, you're thinking, okay, who are we talking about? Well, in context, if you read above it and below this, you find out that we're talking about Israel. So Israel, for your husband is your maker. So we're talking about God, whose name is the Lord of hosts or Jehovah of armies. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says the Lord. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. So the point here is that God is talking specifically about his relationship with Israel, the fact that he had wedded her, in fact, that's in in Exodus 19, and that she had uh, pulled away from him and had turned to idol worship and 
had been forsaken, but he says that I will gather you back as your husband. So the point is that Israel is not part of the church. Israel is the wife of God, just as the church will be the wife of Christ in a yet future event following the rapture. And one one point I want to make here about this uh, uh, point of the wife uh, is the wife of God is to go to Genesis 12, because the point is made in Genesis 12 in verse 3. He says, in talking to Abraham, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's look at that cursing. The one who curses you, I will curse. So if you understand from Isaiah 54, 5 through 7, and there are a number of other scriptures as well that clearly describe Israel as the wife of God, what God is saying here is that when somebody curses you, they're cursing my wife. When you curse Israel, you are cursing the wife of God. And that should, uh, that should give you some pause and should give you a, a sense of gravity here that God does not want somebody to curse his wife just as a husband doesn't want anyone to curse his wife. So that's the relationship Israel has with God, a wife to a husband, and that's, that's oh so important. All right, we have a question uh, that has been sent in from a listener, and we want to take uh, just a few minutes here to answer that. So we'll pick up on our series here next time with uh, Revelation 17.4 there in number one. The question we have uh, is from uh, Bob in Kingsport, and he said, who is included in the rapture of the church? So we talked about who's not in it. So we have uh, a, a great question for Bob, who's included in the church? And of course, that's 1 Thessalonians four thirteen to 18, which we uh, talked about just a while ago, which is the great rapture, rapture passage. And it tells us that those in Christ who are living and those who died in Christ uh, will both be raptured. The, di- the dead first in Christ will rise, and then those that are living at the time of the rapture will be caught up together uh, in heaven to be with the Lord forever. So we know that the church uh, is the group that will be uh, the only one included in the rapture of the church. And the other beautiful picture is actually in John 14. John chapter 14, and this is um, Jesus talking to the apostles in the upper room Uh, just before he's crucified the next day, and he's giving the apostles this wonderful promise about the fact that he is going to come back for them and take them back to be with him, which we would describe as the rapture. And let's read that. It says in John 14, do not let your heart, John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to me, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be resurrected, I'm going to go to my Father, and while I'm there, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and take you up and take you back to my Father's house. Is that not a clear picture of the rapture? Remember, 
If we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.